Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Here for the Right Reasons, Us Weekly's Bachelor podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Heron, and this week I was joined by former Bachelor Ben Higgins to chat about his appearance on this week's episode of The Bachelor and his book, Alone in Plain Sight, which hits bookshelves on February 2nd. Ben and I spoke about the episode and about some of the recent Bachelor news, including Clarendale's split, and he gave a lot of insight into writing his book, some revelations. There were things that I learned about Ben Higgins that I certainly was not expecting, so it's definitely worth a listen. But before I play my interview with Ben, I wanted to talk about a few other points from the episode that we didn't get to and in the news, including the fact that during my emergency episode about Claire and Dale, which I hope you all listened to, a full timeline of their split, I failed to mention that my favorite couple, Chris and Brie from The Bachelor Presents Listen to Your Heart, have broken up. I am devastated because Chris and Brie... If you didn't watch The Bachelor Presents, listen to your heart. Stop what you're doing and go back and watch it because it was so good and not enough people watched it. It didn't get any credit. But the couple who won the record deal were still going strong and they were together for almost a year and they announced their split the same day that Claire and Dale did. There was a lot of speculation. I believe they did it on purpose to try to get everyone not to care. But I am here to let you know that it still matters and I'm very sad that they have called it quits. Now, on the Claire and Dale front, we have had Dale speak out again. Um, his sister flew to New York, and they've been spending all this time together taking selfies and living their best lives, and now people are accusing Dale of not properly mourning the relationship. Um, I always find it a little weird to judge how people react to breakups. However, when you have Claire releasing these statements about how crushed she is, and then you have Dale like walking around the city smiling, taking pictures with his sister and like going out, it is a little awkward. Um, so he addressed this and he said, quote, I finally feel comfortable getting on here after having some time to process everything that's gone on. I know a lot of y'all have seen me smile on social media and say I don't seem as hurt or burdened by this, but that's the farthest thing. This time has sucked. Thank God I have my family and friends that I have because they've literally had to carry me through the last two weeks. Now he goes into a bunch of like cliches. And it's kind of like, okay, Dale, but quote, people will spread lies or always want to point the finger. But the fact of the matter is there's 
one person, there's no one person to blame in this situation. Like every relationship, we've had our ups and downs, have gone through our things, but the statements that came out, like they didn't come out of nowhere. I love Claire and respect Claire enough to let her know how I feel, even if that's against the expectations of everyone else. And it's going to take time. I wanted nothing more than to make this relationship work. And I put my heart and soul into it each and every day. And I wanted nothing more than to build a healthy relationship. While this is going to be difficult, what you'll see is me trying to practice what I preach and continue to put my best foot forward each day. So that was Dale basically being like, you guys, I broke up with Claire and she didn't want to accept that we broke up. And so that's why I posted on Instagram and then stopped telling me that I broke up with her on Instagram, even though he kind of broke up with her on Instagram. So still messy with these two. Claire has also been wearing a ring on her left finger still. And page six tried to say it was the Neil Lane engagement ring. However, upon stalking and zooming in very closely, I think it's the ring that Claire was wearing before she started wearing the engagement ring. It was a ring she like promised to herself. And that was the ring she was wearing that people thought was her engagement ring before she went to the grocery store and really put on the, the big diamond. So I don't think Claire's still wearing the ring. She's been spotted on walks with her family um, she was also smiling. So maybe she's doing better than we think. Unclear. But Dale would like everyone to stop accusing him of not properly mourning their relationship. Guys, he he was sad for two weeks. Let him move on. Okay. So we'll, 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 keep, we'll keep on those two. There's still a couple months before they have to cast Bachelor in Paradise. And you just never know who's going to be on there. Now, a few a few notes from the episode. First of all, I just need to say that more than anything... On the Us Weekly Hot Hollywood podcast, if you listen to that, you know we set intentions every week. And I'd like to, for one time only, bring that to the Here for the Right Reasons podcast and ask the Bachelor producers to please, please, please stop ending episodes without a rose ceremony and starting episodes without any clear direction of where we left off. If you watched this episode of The Bachelor, you will you probably were confused at the beginning because we were randomly on the night portion of the second group date when we never saw the day portion. We saw Sarah leave and the women get ready to go on the date. We, we didn't see any of it. So that was just annoying. And then this episode went on and, of course, ended on another cliffhanger without a rose ceremony. We need structure. This is 2021. We've, we're going through a lot and we need some structure to get through this. Also, we had the new women join this week. Five ladies. Brittany, the one who's been accused of being an escort who made out with Matt when she got out of the limo. Michelle, the one from Minnesota in the sparkly black dress who had a very quick connection with Matt. Um, she got the one-on-one -on -one date later. It really felt like they were very connected. It was almost like he was had a stronger connection with Michelle than half the women that were still in the house. Um, they also made comments about how the fact that they would breed well and have great kids. So something tells me Michelle's going to go far. Then we had... Catalina, who was Miss Former Puerto Rico, Kim and Ryan. Now, Kim was the only new woman who did not get a rose, which, again, said a lot about the women he still had in the house. If he had this huge connection with Michelle and he was willing to let a few of the, quote, OG contestants go to make room for four newcomers. Kind of crazy. Um, I can't decide how Matt James felt about this whole situation. He looked confused, shocked. He was definitely blindsided. Um, there are two ways you can go about this, right? You can say one, which is the narrative the show is saying, we wanted to give Matt James the best opportunity to find a wife. That was the goal. So we needed to bring in these new women because we wanted him to find a wife. We thought that they were great. And, you know, this was, of course, we dropped them in for a little drama, but we had the best of intentions. Or you can go, okay, this was strictly for drama. And they're kind of screwing Matt James because they're leaving him with all of these women. There still probably was, what, 18 or something left, 15, who were all mad at him. So I don't know how I feel about it. It was great to watch, but it really 
was confusing and and didn't feel pure. Robert Mills um, gave an interview. He's a executive at ABC and said, quote, we got a record number of submissions. We couldn't fit everyone in night one. And we had some really interesting girls. These were women that we had already met with. It was pretty much decided before filming began that they would join later. It was good to throw them in the mix just, but it wasn't just to mix things up. So I don't know if I believe that, but it, again, it was interesting. Matt James clearly has a connection with Michelle. If she goes far, it will have been worth it. But I really do think it kind of messed with him and he looked really nervous and he finally was comfortable on the show. But again, if Michelle and him have a connection, then I guess all the drama was worth it. Then you have Brittany, who's been accused of being an escort. My problem with this whole drama is that Anna, who is sharing it, doesn't really seem to have facts. She sort of just cited these vague DMs that she got because her and Brittany both live in Chicago. And in my opinion, that is not enough evidence to accuse someone of being an escort or a sugar baby or whatever they were saying about her. Um, you need facts, right? And that there were no facts. Brittany's response was also interesting because she didn't get visibly upset, really. At first, she was more just confused. And that makes me think that it really was coming out of nowhere. And she didn't even know how to react because she thought it was so insane and maybe was hoping to bury it. You could either look at it that way or it was true and she was panicking and trying to stay calm. Either way, it didn't really seem cool for them to bring it up. And these girls, you guys, are they the meanest girls that have ever been on the show? Or are we just seeing more of their conversations because they took out the travel and they need to fill the time and these women are sitting around this resort and they don't have to pack or, you know, we, when they do travel, we don't see them on the plane. We don't see them everywhere. So maybe we're seeing more of their downtime. Either way, they are so mean. And Anna and Victoria, like, conspiring and, like, talking about this girl and these allegations and telling everyone in the house, it just came off. It didn't sit well with me. It didn't feel like fun bachelor gossip. It it, it felt mean, mean-spirited, which is ironic because Victoria was on Good Morning America. And I find it, one, interesting that ABC, you know, wants Victoria to have this platform so badly that they're giving her spots in Good Morning America. And two, that she went on Good Morning America and didn't own up to anything. She said, quote, if my words or actions hurt anyone, like I sincerely apologize and I'll do better to hold myself accountable, but I'm not a bully. I'm really not. When asked if she had any regrets, she said the other contestants knew me and knew my heart and knew I never have any ill intent. So I think they viewed it differently just because they know me. So she's kind of playing like sarcasm. She wasn't being serious. She didn't mean to hurt anyone's feelings. And some of that might be true. I think she is a very sarcastic person. And we know that doesn't translate on screen. And she's over the top. But she also told Good Morning America that she thought she was going to be received well. And I just can't imagine going on to that show, being so bold in that crown, acting the way she did without at least, you know, the, at the very least, you know, you're probably going to get some hate online. But if you own it, maybe you can turn it into a brand. You can be funny. There's no way she showed up not thinking she was going to be controversial. That's insane to me. Like, that's a lie. Um, she also addressed that arrest from 2012 that has resurfaced in the mugshot in which she allegedly stole $250 worth of merchandise from a Publix in Florida. Um, and she was like, I'm happy it's out there because now my future husband can Google me and I have nothing to hide. So, you know, Victoria, Victoria, Victoria. She's somehow still on the show. I don't know when we're getting rid of her. There's obviously no way she wins, but I feel as though it's time for her to go. And it's time for Anna to go, too, because I really did not like the way she handled that whole thing. With Brittany. And she even said, that's an awful thing to say. I'm sorry. And admits she doesn't really know her, but then kept shit talking her to Victoria. So 
I don't even think she knows how to be a pot stirrer and she's not even confident in her allegations, which is why it's not cool to bring up because now every time you Google Britney, escort is going to be attached to it. And that's not fair. So you guys, these women are just insane. And Katie has tried to be the peacemaker on both episodes now with Sarah and now with this Britney thing. And I actually respect Katie a lot because normally when one of the girls goes to the lead and tries to talk about the other women, it never ends well. But I genuinely think Katie did it because she really tried to get these women to get along and they're not listening to her. And she knows it's heading toxic and wants someone to step in who they'll listen to like Matt. I feel like Katie's the one who told them, you guys, when you watch this back, you are going to be so embarrassed and you have no idea how catty you look and how bitter you look and how jealous you look of these other women. I mean, they couldn't have been more jealous of Michelle, which part of me gets, you know, they were claiming they have these deep connections with him three weeks in. I do get that they, in their head, you know, think they're dating Matt James and some of them do have genuine connections with him and they think it's unfair. It is unfair, but you can say it's unfair without taking it out on these women and acting like they planned it. They didn't ask to be held for three weeks at this resort in Pennsylvania and then let loose. Like you gotta think through it. Imagine how they're feeling watching his connection with Michelle when they're freaking quoting Maya Angelou back and forth to each other and realizing how silly they looked fighting about crowns and escorts back at the mansion. Like, come on, the show is technically about love. You gotta you got to pretend to at least care about the love part. It's they they just are jealous. They're just jealous. And Victoria's excuse keeps being like, I'm expressing myself. I can do whatever I want. Like, that's not expressing yourself, being mean to someone. I don't know who told her that. I don't know. She's really got to go. I'm really over her. Um, ben spoke a little bit about this with me, about his group date and what he saw and what you didn't see, including the advice he gave Matt about how to deal with the drama, which I thought was interesting and what he wished that someone told him when they visited him, you know, when they do the advice segments, because he's kind of been with the go-to. It used to be Sean Lowe, but now Sean Lowe has three kids and doesn't have time to, you know, quarantine for two weeks at Nemecolon Resort. So I'll leave you with my chat with Ben Higgins, which I started by asking him about his book, Alone in Plain Sight, and why he decided to sit down and write it in the first place. It's interesting because the book started as like a journal. So uh, coming off the show and really before it even, um, there's a lot of like emotions and stuff I couldn't process internally. And so I uh, was going to counseling and they kind of recommended I write down like, hey, when I'm in my darkest place, like what are the things I'm feeling? What kind of brought me there? And then when I was in my like best and most joyful times, like what is it that brought me there? Like kind of my feelings and how I'm feeling. So I started writing all this down and I, I was recognizing some themes like um, that when I was feeling my darkest, I was feeling disconnected, uh, misunderstood, uh, pushed aside. When I was feeling my most joyful, I felt like the people around me were in celebration. I felt like I was connected to the group. Uh, and so I kind of had written all these down and then I was actually in Atlanta for a conference I was speaking at and uh, the team at HarperCollins came and Thomas Nelson Publishers and they came and they said, hey, would you ever want to write a book? And it was their Christian division um, that came to me. And so I, re I knew that they didn't want like a bachelor tell all. And it wasn't really something I was interested in. One, I don't have a lot to tell. Like I don't have, and I don't think it's that interesting. Like I don't think it would be a pursuit that, you know, four years at that point, it was four years later, like that would be that interested in writing about. Uh, and so I wrote this. Uh, I said to them, hey, I have this journal that I, I think might be relatable. Can we turn it into a book? And they were like, yeah, let's go for it. And so I started writing and trying to, try, trying to tie these messages together. Uh, and 
and what I recognize is as, as I was writing it and as I was asking the questions that I was writing about in the book, a lot of people started to respond with like, I felt that way too, or I feel disconnected, or I feel like I'm misunderstood, or I don't feel like I'm a part of, of the group. And so I, then I realized I had something. And so I kind of dug into that. Like I kind of went with that angle of, all right, if so many people are feeling disconnected, why? And then is there a possibility of connecting again? Like, what is it we're missing? Uh, that was kind of my pursuit, my hope, and how I got there. So one common theme that you reference a lot throughout is like your identity and find, you know, being comfortable in yourself and what that really means. And as the bachelor, you kind of got this unlovable bachelor yeah. identity. For you, was that hard to, you know, kind of have like a label on you, even if it was something you related to? Like, how did that play into your journey and kind of figuring out who you were and that part of it? It's interesting because at first it was hard because it kind of like reinforced all of my biggest insecurities. Right. Uh, that like was the thing. label. Yeah, that was how I was feeling. And that was the label they were placing on me. And so at first, when I first heard that that was kind of like what they were going to promote it as, it was like, well, this doesn't help. Like, this just hurts me. Like, if I have to live up to the expectation of feeling like an outsider, like, I don't want that. I don't want to sit in that forever. It's not who I want to be forever. And so it was reinforcing those insecurities. However, fairly quickly, I recognized that that was like my biggest insecurity was also a thing that made me super relatable, um, which is intriguing that the thing that I was most ashamed of, the, th the thing that I had pushed down the farthest in my gut, like the thing I was hiding and trying to like fake and overcome was also the thing that more like that made me most connected to others. Right. So yes, at first I was resentful for it. Yes, it, it concerned me, but then it became the thing that made me go, okay, if this is who I am and this is how people see me, does it make me a weirdo or does it actually make me more connected? Which was a big revelation in my life, yeah. which made me also think that like, hey, if this is the one thing that like that I carry with me and that I feel ashamed of, um, I wonder how many others people's shame filled and guilt filled feelings and emotions are also the thing that connects them the most to other people as well. Uh, which put, took me down a really interesting path of didn't speak into that in people's lives. Like, hey, what are you insecure about? Like, what makes you feel most different? Hear those things and then go and then not try to prove it, but then to sit beside them and say, like, what if that's the one thing that makes you least different? Like, what yeah. if that's the one thing that doesn't make you different at all? That's interesting. Something else that, I mean, as a Bachelor fan and who's followed you, I had no idea that you had, you know, in a struggle with painkillers. That was kind of a big revelation. What was it like writing about that and kind of knowing that that was going to be out there? Uh, tough, still tough. Um, yeah, cause it's not like, it, it's not like a beautiful season of life. Um, but again, like as I was writing it, the one thing I had to continue to tell myself the whole time, because it takes a long time to write a book. It took mm -hmm. me a long time. Maybe it doesn't take others. I don't know. It took me a, like two years. Um, as I was writing it, and I would read back through like the things that I had. And then I had uh, my ghostwriter who would help me dig in a little bit more because there was a moment in time I kind of plateaued and was kind of going to surface on stuff. And so I had to bring him in towards the end to kind of help me get pull out, like honestly, kind of more or less deal as like a counselor, like ask the right questions. Um, I realized I wanted to dig in. Like if I get one shot at writing this thing, I don't want to fall short. Uh, and if I'm going to choose to go down the path that I did, which was speaking about insecurity, speaking about the things we're most shameful and guilt for, speaking about the seasons of life that are darkest, then I have to speak about that myself. Like I can't ask 
somebody do something I'm not willing to. Right. Um, and again, like, it's not uncommon. Like, people we know are struggling with this. And like, people we know are, you know, like, I know what it's like to be in that world and to be thinking about one thing and one thing only and trying to figure out where the next thing, you know, where your next pill is. And, um, and that's in itself is super isolating. It definitely doesn't make you the best version of yourself. Yeah. And so, um, yes, hard. Yes, weird. Not a lot of people know it in my own life. Like a lot of people don't know that side because uh, it's not something you like go around and parade around when you're in it. Uh, it's not something you talk about often, but uh, healing in a lot of ways to write it and to know what's out there. And then also I hope that somebody out there can read it and go, hey, I'm in it too. And like, uh, there's a way out, but also while I'm still in it, like I don't have to be ashamed. Something um, that also stood out to me that was just really interesting was you talking about kind of starting to date again after the show and after you and Lauren broke up and like this image that like dates to where like all of a sudden helicopter rides and like fantasy and Instagram kind of does that too. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Like it wasn't very hard to start dating normally again after your, your, these dates were set up for you and all that. Just get in your well, head. It was hard personally because uh, when I was like, people would have an expectation of who I am, right? Like uh, I have, I have a great life. Like I've been really, I mean, the show has been great to me, but like I live in an 800 square foot bungalow in North Denver, like that's on one of the busiest roads. Like it's not lavish um, against popular belief. Like you don't get rich doing the show. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, you go on these days and people would expect you to be something. They see this, they see you in a suit, they see you flying across the world. They see these amazing dates. And I think the expectation is like, that's what life looks like. In a lot of ways it is like, I was still trying to be myself the best I could and show that side, but know that like the lifestyle, like life isn't that exciting. In fact, it might never be that exciting again. I don't have a personal helicopter. I feel like uh, you specifically this, you know, the perfect Ben, they, they really, you kind of were set up, they set every bachelor up to be, you know, like the great, the, the bachelor, the one you want, but I feel like you had like a lot of pressure on you. I remember when I walked in New York City, I was on a, uh, a, a tour for PR for before the show and the sign that the, on the ABC building, there's a, they cover the whole side of it with the bachelor's picture, the bachelorette's picture. And I remember it was the first time I saw the perfect Ben um, was written. And I looked at the person next to me, I forget who it was at the time. I go, wow, they couldn't set me up for more failure. Like, and they couldn't, like they could not have set me up to fall short of expectations. Like I had massive expectations on just who I was. And like, again, at that time, especially, I wasn't even talking about it, but like inside I felt far from perfect. It, I felt far from adequate. Like I didn't even feel sufficient. Um, and so in my mind, I, it was like another revelation that's like, okay, that is who I'm going to be on screen. But inside, like, it, are, is this show even going to allow people to get to know me? Um, with the contestants or the people viewing? And like, that's, that's a sad thought because I also knew, and I still know that like, that is a lot of what my, my story is going to be like, maybe not forever. Oh, my life story, my legacy is not built on the show, but it has been to this point. And like, if my legacy is built on something that is not true, that in itself is an isolating feeling. Yeah. Um, so yes, I, I do. I do think my the expectations for a while in my life, in my mind especially, were set up far 
um, from what I felt inside. Was there anything that was easier for you to write about than you thought would be? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the romantic side of it, like, I think the, the, especially the the part that was really like almost as personal to me as like my biggest questions of life, like was the singleness part. Uh, because, you know, growing up in the Midwest, uh, I was, I remember I was 24 years old. Almost all my buddies were married or in committed relationships that they were engaged in. And I remember the feeling of like, feeling like singleness was a sickness. And then as I got older, I started to actually really enjoy my singleness, like really started to own it and feel like, Hey, this brings me great advantages in life. It brings me a lot of personal growth. It allows me to be a little more selfish. Um, and I'm actually really enjoying this. And so then I go to church or I go to even, you know, you go around friends and they would say, they would try to set you up or they'd say, why aren't you dating? And really what you want to say is I'm just not interested in it. Like I haven't found the person that, that compliments me. I, I haven't found somebody honestly that I feel could be a partner to me and I could be a partner to them. And that partner part was really easy for me to write because I had a lot of resentment and I still build up at, and because of my, my year single. And I still do for the people that are single out there today. Like it's not promised to us that we'll find a partner. In life. Yeah. And if you don't like, that's okay. And, and I really wanted to communicate that message the best I could. So it was fun for me to write because I felt like it was something that needed to be heard. I loved the Tanya, I assume Tanya Rad reference yeah. too, because she, I think is the champion of that. And it's, it's cool to see now a, a guy's perspective as someone who's familiar with Tanya to promote that message. That was kind of cool. Oh uh, yeah. She's, she was really, I mean, think about what she did to, to even take that time to speak with me. Uh, it's a re- really weird conversation to have when you're like, hey, single friend, this is not me trying to set you up. This is actually not me trying to tell you that anything's wrong with you or that this needs to be fixed. But you are an incredible single human. Uh, and at that point in my life, I was not. Can I, can I interview you about this? Can I speak with you about this? And she was super willing to do it, which just shows who she is and who she, you know, that she cares to have that message shared as well. Um, you know, I think you said maybe a few months ago that when you were sitting down to write, you knew people were going to want to know about Lauren and your breakup. And you mentioned in the book, it was like the most Googled breakup of the year or something crazy. Um, and I think you might've said that you told her what you were including in the book or did she read the book or how did that work for you? And how, why was that important to you? Well, I wrote it. Um, cause it is a part of my story, you know, like, uh, you know, the, my life doesn't fully make sense unless you know the entirety of my story, just like any of ours doesn't. And so that is a big part of the story. That's what people see, you know, seem to want to ask about and talk about. And so I wrote it and then I sent it over, uh, and we hadn't really spoken and she was super gracious and she read it and she like was encouraging on it. Um, one, because there's like, there is no ill will. Like, look, I mean, she's married and pregnant and like life's good. I'm engaged and super happy and life's great. And like, there's no resentment or hard feelings there. And so I think like when I wrote it, it was coming from a place of heal, being healed and like fully aware now at like how it all progressed and how good it all progressed for both of us. Um, and so she was encouraging in it. Uh, and I, and I hope people read it and just say like, I, I think this last week, uh, I saw some comments from people talking about it uh, because I think somebody, some article had written that, you know, that chapter was in there. And I hope people read it and just go like, hey, like, yeah, breakups suck no matter what. Yeah. But like, they don't have to be contentious. They don't have to be ugly forever. They don't have to be resentful forever. Like, in fact, they're really, it's really good when there's healing, forgiveness, like, and people can move on. And I hope people read that and see that within that chapter of like, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's awful, right? Like when you're in it, it's, it's terrible. When you're fresh from it, it, it hurts. And then over time, you see the light and it's like, no, this all works out really well. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating to find out you guys broke up over the phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, is there a, I mean, is there a, is there a great way to break up? 
I don't think so. No. Probably not on a, on a freeform spinoff show either, but the, the question mark also made me laugh with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of, obviously you're engaged. Is there any wedding plan update that you would like to share or are you guys still just holding, holding out hope that, you know, Corona, the vaccine will, will work in your favor soon? We will get married in 2021. Uh, that is that is something we've committed to no matter what. Uh, either way, somehow, some way. If we have a wedding, that's fantastic. We would love that. It was been something we've both wanted. It's what we've kind of like, I'd say, and sacrificed over the last year to make sure we can do that. If we can't, then we still make it happen no matter what. Got it. That's good. Good for you. Um, this season of The Bachelor, we're going to see you on. Um, tell me a little bit about talking to Matt. What was his mindset like? Were you, you know, he's never been on the show before. Like, what were you going in? Like, what did you know you wanted to say to him? Did you learn anything? What can you tell me? Yeah, so when I had been able to speak to Matt about a week before filming started, uh, and I'd say one thing he did incredibly well was he reached out to a bunch of people uh, that had been on the show and uh, and kind of got their advice or just like what was their experience like. So I've been able to speak with him and I knew like his heart was in a great place. I knew he's a really good dude who cared deeply about the process, knowing that, you know, women were going to come in and give up their time and sometimes their jobs for this. So I already like, I get to speak to most bachelors before they go on. And with Matt, it really stood out to me just how incredible he was as a human. Uh, I think my concern is that he's never been on the show and it's intimidating. I mean, if you've even been on the show before and you walk into it, it's intimidating, like the lights, the people, the attention, the pulling around, the long days, the long hours, the multiple conversations, like we watch it and we enjoy it. It's really hard to do it. Um, and so I was just worried he was going to get robotic because that happens. Um, it happens when you get tired. You just start saying the right thing at the right time because it's the best thing to do. Um, also, when I when I wanted to speak, sit down with him, and you'll see tonight. You know, the conversation lasted a lot longer than they'll show. That just happens. Uh, I don't think people want to see us for an hour and a half just chatting. Um, but I I really would just want to like reinforce into him that he is fully capable of this moment. Uh, he has a huge, and he spoke about it, like he has a huge weight that he's going to carry on this show. He's the first black bachelor uh, and he's going to do an incredible job uh, post-show with everything he does. Um, but it is a weight that he's carrying and he also hasn't done it before. He's not prepared for this, um, but he was chosen because he is going to be incredible. And I just want to reinforce it in him that he is incredible, that he was chosen because of who he is. Uh, and the, the person that he is, is a great dude. Uh, because I don't, like advice like I don't know what advice I would give him he's gonna do this thing differently than me he's gonna he's a different dude than I am but I just I really wanted to like I wish somebody would have done this to me during my process is like lift me up and say like you are fully able to be in this moment and be who you are in this moment and rise above any criticism and also own any compliments and just stay who you are the women are also obviously different every year and you know there's been kind of a mention online or this like maybe a cattier group than other times um so from a lead perspective how do you manage like the drama and what you're hearing and also being able to you know decide for yourself who you want to keep around like how how does that work <laughs> yeah well i would say most of the times on the show when you have a very catty group of women you know that the bachelor is probably a pretty good dude same with the bachelorette and the guy uh because they're not going to bring the drama to the show and i i always appreciate that right you don't want to lead that like fires 
you know, starts the flame and makes it higher. Um, to manage that, you know, the mark of a good lead on this show is not if we like them or not. We're going to like most of them uh, because they're wearing suits and beautiful dresses and they're going on lavish dates. We're going to like them. It's how they react to controversy and how they react to the drama. Like, what is their reaction like? And so that was one of my advices to to Matt was just like, make sure you think through your reaction. Um, and I would say the best way to do that would be to not dive into it. He knows who's rising above the drama. He knows what he wants in a partner. Does he want a partner that brings a little drama to the table? Does he want a partner that kind of sparks the flame a little bit? Maybe he does. Um, but if he doesn't, then he's going to choose somebody that, that, that doesn't enjoy that either and stay committed to those people, like invest into those people. And as quick as you can start to pull aside the, the drama filled group because they're not helping your experience. They're not helping you find your partner. Did any of the women stand out to you when you were hosting that date? Did you, was the queen there? Like how did, <laughs> did anything stand out to you? The queen was there. Um, you know, it wasn't a very interactive date for me. I didn't get to know them. Uh, you'll see that, you know, I kind of stood and hosted this uh, this race off to the side and they did their thing and right, like nobody's there to see me any either, anyways. Like they're there to see Matt and I'm just an add-on. Uh, I think the, the, the thing that was like, and this is all behind, but like the thing that was most frustrating to me is I'm trying to like manage this obstacle course that they've asked me to host. And when people don't like listen to the rules or they cheat, like it get really, got really frustrating for me because I'm trying to like chase them down and say, no, you got to go back and do this right. You got to like, uh, and I think that stood out to me is like, which of the women were more interested in like helping manage this whole chaotic scenario and not just cheat to get to the end. Group dates on The Bachelor are always chaotic. So I, I you know, the obstacle court, now they just want the time with the lead and sometimes you got to be aggressive, but sometimes being aggressive makes you look yeah. even worse than whatever. So it's, I'm sure it's a balance. Yeah, so nobody got to like, I mean, Abigail was on that date. She was really sweet. Um, Maggie was on that date and she was amazing. Uh, she got stuck in a pumpkin for like a long time. There was a pumpkin part where they had a row across and she just like couldn't get across. Um, and she like did it, handled it so well. Like she was laughing, even though it was probably super frustrating because she was like in the middle of this lake spinning in circles for a lot, I mean, like a long time. Um, and I thought that was like a good, like that was something that was like, oh, that's admirable. And that's like, that's cool. Uh, but no, I didn't get to know him too well. We're seeing a lot of um, bachelor couples kind of crumble in the last year. We've lost, we've lost a lot. And, um, you know, everyone is different. But do you, do you think that there's any sort of trend into why sometimes they do work or they don't? Like, I mean, as someone who was in a long term, I feel like that would be considered a success. You guys were together for like two years. Um, what do you think it is? Do you think it's how you navigate post-show watching it? Do you think some of these people just aren't right for each other and they get wrapped up in it? We saw Claire and Dale really, it's taken a nasty turn, which is kind of sad after this whirlwind, you know, romance. Like, do you, do you think there's anything that people can do to prevent it? Or sometimes it's just, they're not the right person. It's a big question. Um, one, I mean, the first thing is like every relationship is different, right? Claire and Dale are different than other couples who have split, Becca and Garrett, who had been together for a while. Uh, the Claire and Dale thing seems super messy. And I, and I feel like there was things going on that were not fair uh, and, and we're not right. And as a result, like somebody ends up getting hurt deep. Uh, I have never met a couple that comes off the show that doesn't want to make it work. That's one thing. Like, that's one thing that I've never seen yet is a couple that comes off the show just wanting the fame of it. I think each one of them has the, the, the idea that this is going to work. And so I think that is a first step is wanting to make it work. Second, 
is watching the show is not easy for any couple. I've talked to a lot of them and like you see, you see the person that you're in love with that you're trying to make a life with date other people. Like that doesn't happen in the real world. That's really hard to see. Like it's really hard to see emotions shared. So my advice and how you can make it work is to communicate often to give a ton of forgiveness and grace and then to move on as quickly as possible. Like, yes, you know each other. Yes, you have a relationship form, but it is as soon as the show ends that you like, as soon as that like last day happens that you have to view each other as like, we're in this together now. We're partners together. None of that stuff matters. It came to you and we're going to move on to this together. That is the important is making sure that you see as soon as the show ends that you're the team that you're making this work. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be different than most relationships, but you're going to commit to communicating and to investing into forgiving often until you can get to a place where your life starts to not be talked about your exit. Mm, sorry, we lost a lot of gems, but you know, we still got, we still got some good ones. We got to, you know, hold out hope. Um, I just have a few questions for this bachelor regrets game we play. They're like kind of silly. If you have time. Yeah. Okay. So the first one, you can just tell me if you, they might not apply to you. They might. So if they, you do regret it or you wouldn't regret it or it doesn't apply and you can explain if you. Okay. So the first one is, do you regret not wearing more comfortable shoes to rose ceremonies? Uh, no, because I don't wear really nice shoes very often. And those Carrie Fetman, the wardrobe stylist there helps you look good. And I just want to look good. Do you regret not eating food on any one-on-one dates? No, because I had a parasite the whole time I was the bachelor. This was a story that uh, kind of got covered up for a while. And so I started, but I, I had a really bad parasite that I had to go through treatment for. So I was like super ill. And anytime I would eat, it, it would make me sicker. And so I was like really cautious on what I would consume and when I consume it. So I would not be upset during the date. Do you, is there one woman that you regret sending home too early or too late? Uh, no, uh, I, no, not really. Um, I think the one that like was the hardest, I remember what well, those couple many, but like, you know, like everywhere from like Becca to Kayla, like that was just hard. Cause you've been with them for a while mm-hmm. and Becca and I've stayed great friends, but I remember how much she invested into coming on that experience. And then the send her home was hard because it just, you know, she was so great to be around and Amanda, you know, I, I met her kids and that was awkward. And then Kayla, obviously at the end, like that just gets tough. So no. Um, matching is getting a lot of heat for kissing with his eyes open um, online. Do you regret any of your kissing scenes or skills watching any of that back? I, I wouldn't watch. I haven't seen them. Like, I honestly, I'd mute it. The sound and, like, the view of that is not something you want to watch. And, like, I'm, I watched a lot of it with my friends and family. And, like, I don't really want them seeing it either. So, like, that was – I, I don't even remember it. I blocked it out or I just would skip over it. Do you regret any hot tub dates or scenes on The Bachelor? All of them. Yes, they're awkward. They're weird. And a lot of times the hot tub is not hot. It's, like, cold, especially when it's sitting out in the middle of the desert and, like, there's a random hot tub place. Like, it's not like they have heat going to it. Um, those are never helped. Do you regret any tears you shed? Any, any really emotional moments? No, because I was feeling it and I wanted to feel it. Like I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be the closest version of myself I could. So no. Um, obviously you're engaged now, but you did have a Bachelor Winter Games moment. Do you regret the spinoffs and do you regret not exploring paradise? I don't regret not exploring paradise. Fair. Even though that looks like a pretty great place to hang out for a few weeks. Um, the Winter Games was just an interesting experience that like I was, I was in my weakest place 
in like a really hurt place. And I was trying to figure out how to get back out into the world and to date and to figure out if I wanted to date or what that was. And I felt like a familiar place. I didn't even know what the show was going to be. I don't think any of us did. And once I got there, it like was too much, too soon, too confusing. Um, I don't regret it because it was like leaving there that I realized how broken I was and that I needed some like counseling and some help and like just some, I need to get myself picked up again because I was, I was suppressing it. So I don't regret it because it was good for me, but I mean, Nobody wants to like break down on TV. Do you regret telling two women that you love them? The big, you've, you changed bachelor history, Ben. Now they all say, I love you. <laughs> they all say, I think they said it before me and they just didn't show it or they just hit it. Um, no, I, I just wish I would have communicated it. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe if you phrase a question like that, do I regret saying it? Yes. Um, but it, it felt at the time like the right thing to do because it was validating. I just think it was like also it, now it feels like it was manipulating as well because it just made me feel a little bit better about making sure they both knew where I was at. Um, and so I probably could have been wiser and not saying. Got it. Well, Ben, I feel like you don't have that many regrets. That's good. What are you going to do? I mean, I have regrets in life, but as I write about in the book, like you got to kind of own them um, and get better from them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. The book was really interesting. I hope people read it because they definitely get to know a different side of you. And I think that's really cool. Thank you, Sarah. Really nice to talk to you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Here for the Right Reasons, Us Weekly's Bachelor podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, tell your friends about this podcast and come back every week for more Bachelor breakdowns. Bye.